thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. But we're remembering today the work of Jesus. We're remembering what gathers us, what, what unites us together. And this communion table can be confusing to many people. It's, uh, how do I come to the table? Should I feel happy? Should I feel sad? Should I feel sober? Should I be mad? Should I, be, should I feel guilty? Um, should I take it? Should I not take it? Does it matter if I take it? I mean, this whole issue of communion, there are these thoughts around them. And so my desire for this message today, that we would have a fresh understanding that as we end service, we would come to the table and enter into it more fully together as a church family. So in other words, what does this also have to do with, with our everyday life? Is there anything that this simple act of taking a, a tasteless piece of bread and some, and some, I don't know, Welch's grape juice... Is there some significance that can help me in my life as a teenager, as a, as a mom, a dad, a man, or a woman? Does, is there something here that can help me have strength for tomorrow? Can help me in my choices? Is there anything at this table that's, that says something to people uh, that feel excluded from the church, that feel excluded maybe even in the world? Does this table say something and have something to say to every single one of us in this room and outside of this room today? Yes, it absolutely does. And so before we get into this message and be, begin into communion, I want, to, I want you to understand for a moment, when God speaks to us, he speaks to us in two ways. He speaks to us in words, and he also speaks to us in pictures. And this is important to understand. Maybe, maybe God did that because he loved me so much because he realized I do better with books with pictures than books without pictures. But you can find this example of God speaking in these two ways when you go back to the beginning of the Bible. You go back to this, uh, the story of Noah. That the, the earth had become violent, it had become corrupt, it, so much so that God said he, he, he mourned that he had ever even made humankind because of how filthy and nasty we were. And so God's judgment comes on the earth through what we know is a flood. But even in the midst of his judgment, there is this act of mercy. And he spoke to Noah and he told Noah to build an ark and his family was to be saved and his family was saved from God's judgment. Then after the flood, we find these, this promise that comes from God through words. And it's Genesis chapter 9 verse 11. God says this. To Noah, he said, I have established my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. That is an incredible promise. It was God giving that promise to Noah and his family. And he used words. But then God said, okay, now that I've given you the words of the promise, let me give you a picture of the promise. Genesis 9.13, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign. In other words, this rainbow is a sign of the words that were spoken in verse 11 between God and Noah and the earth. So now there were words, but also came a picture. 
So the rainbow is a visible picture of the promise of God. And every time you see a rainbow, it reminds you that God will never destroy the earth again with a flood. It's just not about words. It's God speaking to us about his promise through a picture that seals in our minds and our hearts this message of God's mercy towards mankind. In the same way, God's given the church kind of similar promises mixed with a picture. One is baptism. The, the promise of salvation, but then the act of baptism is a picture of what happened, that your life has been submerged with Christ. Your old life is gone, risen to live a new life. We'll just talk a little bit about that next week. But also this other piece, as we're going to talk about today, is what's called communion or the Lord's Supper. Really the whole of Christian faith is summed up in these two areas. Basically taking a bath and having a meal. That's really what it's about. The inner life needs to be clean. We need to be washed. We need to be fed. We need to be nourished. We need something to touch us and heal us and redeem us what goes on in the inside. Because all of us here know we can look good on the outside. But man, we are struggling on the inside. And we need someone to answer that cry of our inside. And this is the picture that Jesus will wash you and he will feed you. And so we come to the Lord's table like the rainbow, like baptism. This is God visually reinforcing his promise to us and through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, communion doesn't save you, but it is a sign that helps you remember that he saved us. It reinforces God's promise, just like baptism doesn't save you. The power is in the blood, it's not in the tub. Everyone say amen. amen. Good. I just, I felt like you wanted to. I want to give you permission. <laughs> just like the rainbow doesn't hold back the floods of the earth, it's a picture that God is holding back the floods of the earth. That was a good amen. I like that. <laughs> so why would God want us to come to this table And remember, because I'll tell you, for us in a life that we live, we we so easily forget of what this table represents. We come to church, and and sometimes, listen, we're human, and we just go through the motions. And so as we take communion, it becomes a religious thing versus a relational thing. Not not on purpose. It's just because we just easily forget. Well, we come to the table and it becomes an institutional thing. Well, that's what I'm supposed to do because I'm a church and that's what we do. And we don't do this on purpose. It's just because we're human and we forget. And God wants it to not be institutional. He wants to be an intimate act between you and him. There are two ways that people approach the table of communion. The first way is that communion starts with us. So we come to the table because we think it starts with us. And we come to the table to offer something to God. And then we retreat from the table. Or we come to the table to say, oh God, I'm coming to the table so that you will show grace and mercy on me. That's, I'm, I'm offering something to you so that in return you will give something to me. The opposite way of approaching the table is that the Lord's Supper, this communion, actually has nothing to do with what we offer to him. But it's actually something that he is offering to us. 
This isn't about us coming and giving him something. This is about him at the table already extending his invitation to us because he wants to give us something. This is now him inviting us to himself, not us who is inviting him. This is his table. He said, it's my table. This is not about us saying something to God so that we could help change him or, or alter him to get him to do what we want him to do. This is about us coming to the table for us to listen to him so that he can change us and he can alter us. This is about God taking the, the initiative to say, come to my table the correct understanding of, of God and the Bible and the acts of baptism and the acts of communion and the Christian faith is that it always begins with God and it always ends with God. It never begins with man and ends with man. I don't want anything to do with that. Any understanding of God begins with God and ends with God. And the God of the Bible, he is always the great initiator. He's always the God, the God who's seeking you, who's calling out your name. That in the midst of your darkest hour, you can hear the, the small whisper of the voice that you tried to get to shut up, but he won't stop. It's what the old theologian calls the hounds of heaven are after you. And you're up a tree and they're barking up your tree. It's God the initiator, God the pursuer, God the one who wants you, God the one who called you by name. So this whole idea that the movement of communion is from God to you. It's not from you to God. And then in response we receive what he has already done for us. And all of our weaknesses here today, all of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness, all of our mistakes, he reaches out to us and he says, come to my table. Look what I have for you. My son's body was broken for you. My son's blood was poured out for you. There is reconciliation that is here for you at this table. And we come to the table. There are five ways that we can approach the table that, 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 I, that I hope will help you understand. Paul is writing to the church in Corinthians and, and, and he lays out some things on how do you come to the table? How do you take communion? And so he, he is, he's discipling them on how to do this. And so he's talking about the Lord's Supper, which we're going to take shortly. He said this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. In other words, his understanding of what it means to come to the table. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And then when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. In other words, we're saying something when we take this. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ and eat and drink, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. So how do we come to the table? I just want to give you five little things. I think the first thing is this, and how we come to this table today is, or any day is that we need to look back. We need to look back. As we just read in verse 23, Jesus said, when you take the bread, you need to remember. When you take the cup, you need to remember. So when we come to the table, it's about remembering his sacrifice. And think about what he did for you and for us on the cross. The bread is to remind us that it is Jesus' body that was given for us. The cup is to remind us that it was Christ's blood that was poured out for you and for your life. The bread's one thing, the cup is the other thing. The bread speaks about this perfect life of Jesus Christ. He was a perfect human, a perfect human being. Jesus lived a life that you and I could never, ever, ever live. No matter how bad we wanted to do it, we could never do it. Jesus never spoke a, a sinful word. He never, he never had a sinful thought. He always obeyed the Father's will. He was perfect in his obedience. The body of Jesus, the bread, speaks of his perfect, everyone say perfect, perfect life. And so it was that perfection, that life that was given for you, it was given for me, that he laid down his perfect life of obedience so that we who are not perfect can find in him what we do not have on our own. For me personally, when I come to this table and, and I see this, this bread that represents the perfect life of Jesus, it makes me feel at times very unworthy. Unworthy that even in my repentance, I'm still thinking about myself. That from, from the lips of, a, of an unholy person, me, that I could ask for forgiveness of a holy God. Why would he do it? It's all about the body. It was about his perfection. That's what gives me the ability to come into God's presence because it's not about my goodness. It's about his goodness. God speaks to us in this bread that we're going to take in just a moment. That your salvation actually has nothing to do with, with, with your, your spiritual progress that you've made in your Christian life. Has nothing to do how great you are. It has nothing to do if you're healing the sick and raising the dead and doing these amazing exploits. It has everything to do with the work of Jesus Christ and his perfection. None of us will ever be able to live a perfect life, but Jesus did. When we take the bread, this is what we're reminded. That his obedience was credited to me as my obedience. That's hard to wrap your head around. We say, well, I don't deserve that. I don't understand that. Well, God did it. When we take the body, we are saying his perfection was credited to me and counted as my perfection. 
This bread represents his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience that was crucified for me. Then the cup, the wine, which Jesus calls the wine. The wine speaks about the blood being poured out. Now, blood in, the, in our veins is a, is a symbol of life. If you see, if there's blood in the veins, there's life. The moment blood leaves the veins, it speaks of death. And the bread speaks of the perfect obedience of his life, but the cup speaks of the ultimate sacrifice of his death and payment for our sins. Remember, heaven belonged to Jesus. It was his by his right. He left heaven to enter hell. He left heaven to pay our price. He entered every dimension of the hell that you and I deserve. He entered it on the cross. No sin of his. He, he was not bearing his own sin. He bore our sins. He bore our punishment. He became all that we are so that we in turn could become all that he is. This is what communion is all about. We can forget it. We can minimize it. But God wants us to remind us of the work of the cross so he gives us a picture. He wants to remind us of the words that his son spoke, of the words that he spoke, and he gives us a picture to remember. So we take the bread and we take the cup. We look back and we remember. Second thing is we look in. We look in. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Paul's talking to them. He says, everyone, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Everyone ought to examine themselves. This is important. Paul is saying here, whenever you come to this table, I want you to ask yourself some honest questions. Why? Because also Paul says in verse 27, he says this, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Man, this, this is, a, this is a, a weighty statement here. This is strong words. So what does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? This is the question I believe a lot of people have about it. A lot of questions, there's some confusion in there. Because all of us would say, how, how do I take this? Because I know I'm not perfect. I know I've made mistakes. So how do, I, how do I take this without taking it in an unworthy manner? Well, you need to ask yourselves really two questions. The first one is this, am I believing? When you look back, when you look at the cross, when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at his sacrifice and you ask the question, do I believe in the Son of, Son of God, Jesus, who gave his life for me? Do I believe and have I committed my life to him? If the answer is yes, then you can come to this table. If the, if the answer is no, I don't believe. I'm not believing in him. I don't believe he was who he said he was. I've actually chosen not to follow in his pathway. I've chosen not to, to follow his commands. Then you, actually, you probably need to ask another question. Are you willing to believe in Christ right now? This table is a table of decision. It's not a table of you can come however and whenever. And it's, it's about coming to this table and making a decision. I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. Jesus invites you to the table, but he invites you to make a decision. You have the opportunity for your soul at this moment before we, you come to move from living in the world of darkness to moving to the world of light. 
You might have millions of questions, all kinds of doubts, all kinds of struggles, unresolved conflict. But Christ invites you to the table today if you're willing to accept what he's offering. He invites you to bring your struggle. He invites you to bring your questions. He invites you to give everything to him today and say, Lord, I will follow you. Lord, I need your grace. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I want to put my trust in you. Lord, I believe. Now help me to believe. And for all of us today, as we come to the table, the question is not, it's not well, yeah, I believed 30 years ago. I believed 20 years ago. Here's the question. Are we believing today that we still need Jesus today? Today. The second question is, am I repenting? So again, these are the questions. How do we examine and how do we come to the table? How do we just make sure we're not taking in an unworthy manner? Am I repenting? Notice these questions are, they're present tense questions. They're right now. They're today. They're at this moment. Because believing and repenting are lifelong actions for us as Christians. They are lifelong Salvation, yes, is a moment of conviction from the Holy Spirit, repentance of our will, surrendering of our life to him, and we are saved. But believing and repenting are also how we maintain a close, pure, right relationship with Jesus. What if, let me ask you this. What if you never said you were sorry to your spouse? You say, I don't have to do that. They're still my spouse. I don't have to say I'm sorry. They love me. It doesn't matter. How many knows it matters? <laughs> it matters. For those of you preparing to be married, it matters. It matters. Not repenting or not saying, I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I'm, I'm already forgiven. Yes, your salvation is secure. But the fact that you're refusing to keep a right relationship with Jesus is a window into your soul of your arrogance and your pride. Just like in a, in a friendship or a, with your wife or husband or co-worker or wherever it is, if you are never able to say, I'm sorry, it reveals the arrogance and pride in your life. And I would question your relationship, and say, it's probably struggling if you can't say I'm sorry. So we come believing that we need Jesus, repenting, keeping our accounts short. In other words, keeping this relationship close with God. Some people say, I, I don't need to do that. But it's important to keep your heart pure. To keep your relationship strong with Jesus. The other side of this is thinking that you can't come to this table because there's sin in your life. Or you, you've been try, trying to overcome this particular sin and you just can't do it. So therefore, I'm not going to come to the table. That's nonsense. If you're asking God to help you overcome your sin. If you're repenting, if you continue to, to, to not want the sin in your life, then this table is for you. You can come to this table trusting that Christ can help you overcome. 
I will, I will tell you this. Jesus will never remove from you a sin that you want to keep. It's a, it's a posture of your heart. I don't, Jesus, I'm sorry. You're keeping this close relationship with him. The table is the place where people see their need for grace and see their need for forgiveness and run to the table as a, as a, a child falls and hurts themselves and runs into the arms of their daddy. That's what the table is. This table is about looking in. Is there something I'm not letting go of? Lord, give me the grace to let it go so that there's nothing between us. Examine. Am I believing and am I repenting? The third thing that as we come to the table is we look up. We recognize That we need Jesus. In other words, we get our eyes off of us. We get our eyes off of me. This is recognizing that Jesus is the only one who can sustain your soul. He's the only one who can enlarge your soul. He's the only one who can, who can breathe life into your soul. You come to this table recognizing that you, you do not hold the power to fix yourself. Everyone say amen to that. <laughs> we do not hold the power to fix us. So we look up. We fix our eyes on Jesus. You may have come here today with your faith running low. And it needs to be strengthened. You may have come here today feeling like you're drying up. And you need to be renewed. This happens by drawing near to him by faith. Recognizing he is your source. He is your portion. It is him who sits at the table waiting for you to come close. So come and look up. Find confidence in the work that he's done, not in the work that you haven't done. So many people, I, I can't come to the table. I'm too sinful. Well, how do you expect to not become sinful if you don't hold the power to not become sinful? You run into the arms of the Father and you embrace what he's provided with his words and his actions and the picture that communion represents. It's kind of like you go into a fancy restaurant and the menu is in French and the waiter comes over and he begins to describe all the food that's on the menu and you're so impressed with the food. I mean, the waiter is the best way. His descriptions just make you, uh, you just want to eat. This is dangerous talking about food right around lunchtime. He's the best waiter you've ever heard. His descriptions and, and how he describes things. He describes how the textures, they blend to one another. And the, these two spices are the balance that they're going to hit this area of your palate. And all of a sudden you begin to, you think, my gosh, this sounds amazing. And he describes in French what it means because you can't read French. And he told you all of his experiences with the food and how they tasted and the aromas and the wines that he paired them with and and it's amazing. And the waiter leaves you thinking, you're talking amongst yourselves at the table. Oh, my gosh, I want some of that. I need some of that. I'm hungry. I want it. And you say, that's the best waiter. The description, oh, it's amazing. And you close your menu and you walk out celebrating that you just heard a bunch of great stuff about that food. And you never order off the menu. 
The Lord's table is for you to come to, to tell him. He, he, he put it on the menu. He's provided for it. It's waiting for you to tell him what you want, to tell him what you need, to tell him that, that you're hungry for a fresh touch of his love, to tell him that you need his victory to overcome sin in your life, to tell him that you're tired of not experiencing him, to tell him that you want a, a closer relationship with, with him. You want your heart to be softened to him. You want to hear his voice more. You want to, you want to he, feel his arms around you. You tell him what you want. You want him to do great things in your life. You want him to, to speak to you in, in, in the night. You want your mind to be healed. You want your heart to be mended again because of the mistakes that you made. Don't just hear about what he provides for you. Jesus sits at the head of the table and he says, order off the menu. It's yours. Get what you need. It's all here. Taste and see. That the Lord is good. Fourth thing you do is you look around. This is very special to me. Verse 24, this is my body which is for you. This, this word you here is not, it's not you or you. It's you. It's plural. This word you, it's, it means family. It means communion is not about you. It's about us, you. It's the Lord's family. It's for us together. It's about the whole family around the table. Just like Thanksgiving is not about the turkey. You don't sit down at Thanksgiving, just you and the turkey, and oh, I feel, my heart feels so warm that I'm eating the turkey. No. Thanksgiving is about what? The table. It's about the people. It's about the family. It's about the generations being together with one heart. It's, it's about celebrating that who we are and we are a family. And we're gathered around the table. It's to enjoy what the Father has provided for us. This is what Jesus wants. For me, it's important for us as a church, when we come to the table, it, it, this is about every generation, the young and the old. It's recognizing, just as you do sit down and, at, at Thanksgiving, and, and yes, my grandpa may not have the energy, but he does have some wisdom that I don't have. There's no kid's table at the Lord's table. We are one. We are one family. And if you don't recognize that you need one another, you're going to miss what the Lord's table is. Church is not for one generation or another generation. No generation owns the table of the Lord. It is for every generation, every people. It's for, it's for white and for black. It's for rich and for poor. It's for Jew, it's for Gentile. It's, it, it, it's, there's no pastor or congregation at the table of the Lord. We are, a family is what we are. There's no scholar, theologian, an uneducated person at the table of the Lord. We all come to the same table. We all receive the same Savior. We all have the same need and we all get the same supply. So when we come to the table, you need to look around. Take in, take in. 
what God has done. Take in that grandpa's here. Take in that this new baby is here. Take in that we are the family. That when I'm struggling, I'm thinking, Lord, can you sustain me as I'm raising teenagers? And John says, yes, but I need some help too. And so then we find somebody, another generation. Hey, hey, hey how many here have successfully, you, you've raised, not six, but you've raised teenagers. I don't know if there's any successful raising teenagers. Okay. Just kidding. You guys are great. I need to be able to go to you and say, how did you do it? Can you help me understand? How do I deal with my, my son that, that there's this, this stubbornness about him? How did you deal with it? How do I deal with my, my daughter who's, who's, who's emotional and dramatic? And I don't know what to do with that. How, how, did, how, do you, how did you apply the gospel of Jesus into your home when, when everybody was upset? How did you deal with that? And then the older person can say, hey, how do you work Facebook? No, I'm just kidding on that. <laughs> how do you send an email? No, but you say, man, you know what? I remember that for, for the person who's walked with Jesus for 30 years, you see a young person who's on fire for Jesus. It's consuming them. You know what it does? It's like, you know what? How come I'm not like that anymore? How come I'm not as passionate about the gospel, as passionate about reaching the lost, as passionate about reading scripture, as passionate about worship as they are? And all of a sudden we begin to affect one another as we sit around the table. And Jesus sits at the head and he smiles and he said, this is my family. And we look around to one another, we say, this is my family. And you laugh at crazy Uncle Bob, and you and you you know you just you just have a great time. Why? Because your family, and this table represents that when you gave your life to Jesus, it's just not you and Jesus in your Bible, and everyone else leave me alone. Too bad you have joined a family. So when you come to the table, look around, give thanks for the family of God. In just a moment, when we come up, I want you, as you wait in line to take your communion, I just want you to tell somebody, I'm glad you're part of my family. Pray for somebody. And the last one is this, just look forward. As you come to the table, we're going to look forward. Look forward to what? Verse 26, Paul simply says this, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death here on our earth until he comes again. In other words, Jesus is coming back for his bride, pure and spotless bride. That, and we look forward to that. But if you notice in the scripture, there were, there were two things here. This, this, this whole idea, Jesus is coming back. You're going to eat of it and you're proclaiming the Lord's death. You're proclaiming it when? Right here, right now, today. There's still something for you to do. We're not going to hunker down and wait till he comes back. We're not going to sit around and just, oh, the world is evil. Oh, get away, world. Get away from me, world. I'm just going to sit here with, in, my little, in my little bunker and, and my little bug out gear and just wait for Jesus to come back. No, no. What Paul's saying is you proclaim the Lord's death. You do it now. You occupy. You charge the gates of hell. You, you, you do things. You, you help the church in the Middle East who's being persecuted. You help missions advance on the earth. You help reach people in our community. You make sure you just don't hunker down in your own little town, your own little house, your own little car. But you look up because we need to proclaim 
that the Lord died, that his body was perfect, but he gave it for us, that he poured out a sacrifice of his blood so that you and I could live a life that's actually worth living, that he paid that penalty, and we, our lives, should proclaim that to the world around us. And, we, and one day, he'll come back. But until he does, we're going to get as many people for Jesus as we possibly can. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.